This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on the Mitch Marathon Month, which has uh, felt like Mitch Marathon half a year. But uh, I do have good news. You know, if you if you do like the Mitch merch and the uh, t-shirts, yes, loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch, I have uh, commissioned an official Mitch or Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn guitar pick. Yes, they will be coming in shortly. Uh, in fact, I'm going to use them as my business card, I think. But um, hey, if anybody wants a Mitch guitar pick, uh, please let me know. And uh, on the last episode I uh, with Steve Riley of LA Guns, we discussed the LA Guns Wasted EP. And I know if you've tried to find that or looked on eBay, uh, you will see the CD being sold for 50 bucks, 80 bucks. I think I saw it once for like 192 bucks or something. Anyway, listen, I, I, as you heard, had financed that CD and I have a bunch of them sitting here in a box and, uh, unused, unopened, perfect condition. Anyway, if anybody wants a, uh, LA Guns wasted, uh, EP, uh, straight from the manufacturer's box, or a Tracy Guns Killing Machine CD, which I also had uh, a hand in. Uh, just write me at to um, let, let me rephrase that. Write me at uh, MitchMinute at AOL dot com. MitchMinute at AOL dot com, which is also the uh, PayPal, and uh, we'll arrange a price. Now, uh, I've shipped a bunch of CDs uh, for the Kiss uh, tribute across the world. Um, you know, to, to Canada to, to buy an envelope, uh, you know, a padded envelope, blah, blah, blah. And it's about eight bucks to send it to the States. It's about 10 bucks. And to send it worldwide is about $12. And then we'll, we'll figure out a price for the CD and, and I'll ship those out. In fact, you know what? The, the, the CDs, I just, you know, 10 bucks, you know. Uh, so if you want to just uh, get an LA Guns wasted EP, uh, throw in 10 bucks plus shipping to cover wherever in the world you are. Send me the PayPal money to MitchMinute at AOL.com and I will get them out. Now, uh, I am going to be on the road for the next little bit, so there might be a delay of three or four or five days before they get shipped out, but they, they'll get shipped out and uh, they are official. Uh, anyway, let us talk about uh, today's guest. It is uh, Gary Peel of uh, Sammy Hagar's band and Boston, but he also has another band called Alliance and they have a new album out called Fire and Grace. And how can you not love a guitarist who played on Sammy Hagar's greatest song from the VOA album? I know what you're thinking. That's right. Dick in the Dirt. Oh, you weren't thinking that one? You were, you were thinking I Can't Drive 55? That is good. Not Dick in the Dirt. I mean, it's not. It's no Dick in the Dirt. <laughs> I love the, the title of that song. Anyway... Uh, Fire and Grace by Alliance is available now, and it is what you expect it to be, a fun rock album. You know, um, l listen, I have a passion for music. It's, it's very hard for me to find something I don't like. I, I generally like all music. I just, I, I love the, the thrill of listening to something. Uh, anyway, uh, before we get over to Gary, uh, I've never done this before, but I want to read you some of the Billboard box scores because the numbers and, and that's the uh, reporting on concert attendance and stuff let's let's look at some of these uh, these are the most recent ones available 
And uh, normally they give you like the top 50 concerts in a reporting week or whatever. But um, the Rolling Stones played Soldier Field in Chicago on June 21st and 25th. And they grossed, grossed, $21,741,000. Top ticket price was $499.50. And the capacity over those two dates was 98,228. And they filled in 98,228 seats. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, here's a band with almost 60 years career. But but this is where it gets amazing. Because number two, Rolling Stones, Gillette Stadium, July 7th, 11 million gross. 49,669 sold, capacity 49, sold out. Again, 60 years career. Third on the list, Rolling Stones. FedEx Field, Landover, Maryland, July 3rd, 9.2 million gross, 39,082 tickets sold, capacity, blah, blah, blah. Number four on the list, another person with almost 60 years career. Paul McCartney, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, June 28th and 29th, 7.2 million, 29,822. And I'm not going to bother reading capacity because the numbers are sold out. Number five on the list this week, Paul McCartney, Lambeau Field, Green Bay, Wisconsin, June 8th, 6.5 million, 49,416, sold out. Number six. On the list is uh, Paul McCartney, Arlington, Texas, June 14th, 6.3 million, 45,024. Number seven, guess what? Another dude with 60 years career. Oh, wait, still Paul McCartney at uh, Petco Park in San Diego, June 22nd, 6.1 million, 40,224. Number eight, a band with almost 50 years career, Aerosmith. Park Theater, Las Vegas, June 19th, 22nd, 24th, 27th, 29th, five dates, 5.2 million. Number nine, Aerosmith Park Theater, Las Vegas, July 2nd, 4th, 7th, and 9th, 4.1 million. So it is 2019, and in this reporting week, nine of the top 10 shows are bands that have 50 years or more career. That, that is remarkable. Number 10 and number 11, Ariana Grande. And then guess what? Right back to the oldsters. Number 12, Elton John. Number 13, Elton John. 14, Elton John. 15, Paul McCartney. 16, Elton John. 17, Rod Stewart. 18, Rod Stewart. 19, Elton John. 20, Elton John. Elton John. Rod Stewart. <laughs> I, I mean, holy mackerel. Um, some might say rock is dead, but I'm thinking maybe just bad rock is dead because good rock, like the Rod Stewart's and the Elton John's and the Aerosmith's and the Paul McCartney's and the Rolling Stones, all are peaking the needle at 50 or 60 years of career. And they take up, let me just back this up a second. They take up almost all of the spots in the top 30. Almost all. 
couple Ariana Grande, but everything else is uh, the old folks. It's it's remarkable. Anyway, you can uh, head over to billboard.com forward slash biz, B-I-Z or Z, uh, forward slash current uh, dash box score. And you can check those out, uh, you know, just save the page on your uh, on your browser because it is amazing what you will see and who's doing what. It, it's just completely uh, spectacular. Anyway, uh, there you go, uh, folks. Uh, let's get over to Gary Peel of uh, Boston and Sammy Hagar fame. New album by Alliance is out now called Fire and Grace. Uh, Fire and Grace. Do check that out. And uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, Gary Peel. We're speaking with uh, Gary Peel, of course, of uh, Boston, Sammy Hager fame and Alliance. And the band has a new album out called Fire and Grace, featuring, of course, uh, Robert Barry and David Lauser as well. Uh, Gary and absolute pleasure to talk to you we're going to speak alliance and then maybe look back at some of the other stuff you've been a member of or part of over the years well mitch thanks for taking the time to talk to us today i'm looking forward to it yeah so so let's get straight into to alliance here the the new album is out it is on spotify and all the services you can get physical product it sounds great uh the last album road to heaven was 2008 so so let's just start there what was sort of the genesis of getting this new product put together and saying, hey, you know what? You know, we've done the Boston stuff. We've done this. Robert's done. Let's get back together and make a new Alliance record. What was Talk to me about sort of getting this one put together. Yeah. Well, as you pointed out, yeah, it's been a long time since the last one. And over the course of these years, uh, we've all, of course, been writing songs and coming up with ideas but instead of just sending them back and forth through email, that, which is easy to do these days, we only like to record when we're all together in the same room. And call us old school, if you will, but uh, for us, that's where the magic happens. And just the title song itself, Fire and Grace, is a good example of that. I had a guitar riff idea. Dave had a cool drum beat, and Robert said, oh, I've got some lyrics that might fit with that. We hit the record button played that, you know, just started playing what we had and wrote that four-minute song in four minutes. <laughs> and so, th- again, that's the fun part about being in a band and working with guys that you trust because, you you know, you know that they're not just trying to play my part, like, here, I you know, do it my way. It's like, no, what's, what's going to make this song sound the best? Sometimes the drummer, Dave, will, will say, well, strum the guitar kind of like this, whatever. And it's like, well, wait a minute, the drummer's telling me how to play guitar? But it's okay, because I know that he's got some good idea, and I do it, you know. So, anyway, that's the fun part about working with those guys. It really is. Uh, talk to me a little bit quickly about uh, Alan Fitzgerald. He, of course, was part of the band at the beginning, had some great moments with, with Night Ranger. When people think about Night Ranger and what, you know, they think Jeff Watson and they think Alan. Uh, talk to me a little bit about having worked with him and... Did he participate at all on this album, or did he, or did he sit this one out? Yeah, I'm afraid he uh, sat this one out. He's like semi-retired now. He'd been on the road so long, uh, as you say, with Night Ranger, and of course I met him as the keyboard player for Sammy Hagar. Before that, he was the bass player in Montrose, so he's got a very long career. 
Uh, as of late, he'd been out uh, playing keys either on or off stage with a, a bunch of people, uh, Van Halen, Bruce Springsteen, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Dan Fogelberg. So, uh, yeah, he's been working all this time. And so uh, he was saying, oh, you know, I'd, I'd love to work on the record with you guys, but, you know, I'm taking some time off. <laughs> but uh, I hope if we do some live gigs that we'll talk him into coming back out of retirement and uh, doing that with us. But, uh, yeah, we, we miss him. But Robert is such a great keyboard player that uh, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're moving on with outfits. So let's talk uh, about the, the writing process for this album because there there are these these albums that were done in the past and it had a very specific sound, but we are 2019. Coming into this, do do you look back at at the past discography and say, okay, we need to write another album that has that sound and and have an alliance sound, or do you come into 2019 thinking, hey, you know what, we are going to make a or 2018, I guess when it started. Uh, how, how do you sort of approach the songwriting and who is the main, if you want, songwriter in the band? Uh, Robert certainly is the most uh, prolific, but uh, Dave wrote a couple songs and I wrote a couple. And as I say, Fire and Grace was written by all three of us on the spot. Uh, but yeah, Robert is definitely the uh, the go-to guy. He's got always, uh, you know, always has lots of great ideas. But as far as the style of the band and the style of the sound it's something that we've developed. And, of course, as I look back at the first couple of albums way back, it's like, well, we were kind of searching for our sound. But I think we really hit it on the last record, uh, Road to Heaven. And so this time around, it's like, okay, now we know who we are, what we're going to do. Let's take it a notch higher. And, again, I play guitar in the band Boston, and I love that guitar sound for Boston but for Alliance, I want people to listen to us and say, wow, that sounds like Gary Peel in Alliance. You know, I don't want them to say, oh, it sounds like Boston. You know, that's, that's already been done, you know. So uh, to that end, I built my own tube amplifier uh, so that nobody else in the world will have that sound, you know, good or bad. That's what I used on this record. So for me, that was the, the start of it. It's like, okay, now I've really got my sound. This is it. Nobody else sounds like this. And so I took that, you know, again, uh, to our recordings, and uh, I, I hope that shows up as like, wow, it's now even better than it was. Uh, as you say, songwriting is one thing, like how do you approach it? Uh, but sound, for me, is, is where I want to start with. And that inspires me to write songs and to contribute to the other guys' sounds and songs, too. You know, that's interesting because... Uh first of all, I didn't realize that you built your own stuff for your own sound because we all know about the Rockman, right? And and, sure. and, and what Tom does. Uh, it's interesting that two guys in Boston are, are sort of uh, gearheads in a sense. So so talk to me about creating, how do you sort of create your own thing? Like, uh, do, do, like talk to me about that a, a little bit. I, I'm, I'm curious to know about how do you come up with your own design? Do you work with a team? Is it you and Tom? Well, explain that to me, because I actually didn't realize that you did this. Well, uh, again, when I joined Sammy's band uh, back in 77, one, almost one of the first tours we went on was the end of Boston's first tour and, uh, in, uh, for their first album. And they liked us, and we liked them, and they said, hey, you guys should open the entire second tour for us. And that's just what we did all across the country. We were the opening act. And 
So, of course, Tom's got this amazing guitar sound, and I was always kind of electronic geek. You know, I took electronics in high school, and I was the guy when, you know, your amp would break down or your cord would be, would be frayed. It's like, oh, well, give it to Gary. He'll solder it for you. So I was always that guy. So when I saw Tom and all his stuff, I, I was the guy that would say, hey, Tom, how do you get that sound? What's this thing here? How do, what does that work? How does that work? What's this over here? And he was nice enough to show me what he was working on. And I even helped him demonstrate some of his products. You know, he started his own company, the Rockman Company. And uh, he would uh, go to these trade shows for music merchandisers. And so he needed somebody to demonstrate some, some of this stuff. So I actually did that for him, even when I was still in Sammy's band. So he and I definitely have that electronics uh, uh, bond between us. And I worked at Tom's company when I joined the band as well, working on products there. And again, it was all stuff that we were going to use on stage, which we do. So yeah, Tom designed the amps that we use on stage today. So uh, again, I've always had that. And so for me, I want to do, again, do my own thing, be a little different, get my own sound. And so I really enjoy tube technology. That's pretty old school stuff. But uh, to me, it sounds great, and so that's that's what I did. That's that was my approach. Oh, that's that sounds great. So so talk to me a little little bit as we get away from. Actually, I don't want to get away from from Alliance just yet. You did an album in uh, what was it 2017? All 41 that also had Robert Berry and and Matt Starr, who has played with Ace Frehley and and uh, Mr. Big these days. Um, how was that album or how was that project different than Alliance or, or simply put, why wasn't that an Alliance record? The folks at Frontiers Records contacted me and asked me if I would like to do an outside project uh, outside of Boston because Boston's last album was on Frontiers Records. And so I said, well, sure, what do you got in mind? And they said, well, we, you know, uh, they listed a whole bunch of names and, and we went through to find out who was available and that sort of thing. And they came up with uh, Matt Starr and uh, Terry Brock as a vocalist. And they were looking for a bass player. And I said, well, you know, Robert Berry, how about him? Let's get him. And uh, Robert is, has his own solo albums on Frontiers. And so, of course, they know him very well. I said, oh, okay, great. We'll, we'll get him. And that was the type of band where uh, the folks from Frontiers had a staff writer there who sent us all songs that he had written, and we, uh, you know, put, you know, went to whatever studio situation we all have. Because I've got a little studio in my place, and Robert's got a terrific studio there out in California, and we all contributed our tracks individually. So we never met to do that album. Uh, as it happened, they asked us if we wanted to contribute some songs. And again, Robert had a couple and I had a couple. And so those ended up on that record as well. But uh, again, we never even met until it was time to do the video for the first song. And we all met in L.A. at the video place. And as we were playing along with the video, of course, just lip syncing, uh, we're you know actually playing. You know, the drummer is actually hitting the drums and I'm actually playing the guitar and Robert the bass and Terry's singing. And we kind of looked at each other and said, gosh, I mean, we could actually do this. We could go do a gig. We know these songs. And, and of course, the other guys are such great musicians. And so we even talked about that, like, gosh, how can we, uh, you know, go out on the road just and put this uh, out there? But again, everybody else is so busy, it's, it's tough to do. It really is. And, and 
you know, I love Frontiers and Alessandro is is a great writer, but sometimes I look at these projects they put together and I go, well, why don't you just get Gary and Robert to write? They're, you know, they, they, <laughs> they anyway, whatever. Let, let's not uh, badmouth uh, Frontiers, but Alessandro is a terrific, terrific uh, guy. Uh, but let's, let's, yeah. let me get over here to musical chairs uh, with wow. uh, Sammy Hagar. And of course, Alan's there and Denny Carmassi, incredible uh, player. Talk to me about that. Were you joining? Were did, did you believe that you were joining a band, or was it always very clear that this is a Sammy Hager solo project, and you're just going to be the guitar guy? What what was sort of the pitch made to you as you came into the fold? Uh, it was obvious that it was Sammy's band. You know, he's the songwriter, and. Uh, again, it's the Sammy Hagar band. It's not, you know, a, a band name, you know, like the ABC band or something. It's Sammy Hagar. So I, I knew what the setup was going into it. But uh, that said, as I was, you know, working with him, uh, as he would come up with song ideas, and we'd all be, you know, sitting around jamming on him and, and coming up with parts, uh, it was completely open to all of us to do whatever you think is going to make the song sound good. And so there was no restrictions like, well, you know, this is my band. I want you to play it this way, or here's where I'm coming from. Nothing like that at all. It's like, hey, just do whatever you feel like doing. So, uh, And I should say that's exactly the same way that Tom Scholz approached us as well. That When we're working on his songs in the studio, we're free to do whatever we want with them. Yeah, so so let me get, and I'll get away from Sammy in a second, but uh, let's talk about this VOA album. Uh, okay. Absolutely, uh, you know, essential listening for for rock fans comes out in 1984. You've got uh, Van Halen's producer Ted Templeman on it. Of course, it has "I Can't Drive 55," which becomes the ubiquitous Sammy Hagar single. Talk to me about putting that album together and and becoming really the sound behind Sammy. Because when we look back at it, you you look at the band and you go. Yeah, that's the band. And, and of course, you've got David Lauser, who's on there, who, of course, is on the Alliance record. Um, talk to me about being that band, the, the, the VOA band and that album and how important it was. I got to say, uh, people ask me sometimes, what's it like working with Sammy? And I say, what you see is what you get. He's always in a good mood, fantastic musician, and he's your best friend. You meet him and shake hands, and then 10 minutes later, he's like hugging you. Okay, take care. See you later. You know, <laughs> like you're friends with him. So, he made working in that band, again, a real band project, even though his name was on it. And so, as you say, I was with the band eight years. And when we started off, we were not very well known. His name was not very well known. We'd go down south and uh, people would say, oh, yeah, Sammy Hager. He's one of the Hager twins from Hee Haw, right? <laughs> and we'd say, no, no, he was in the band called Montrose, which, again, wasn't a, a household name either. Uh, so, but every year it kept getting better and, and he was our cheerleader, you know, next year is going to be even better. And, and it was. And so, as you say, by the time uh, we got to 1984, we've got songs on MTV and platinum records and we're do we're headlining our own shows and in big arenas. And yeah, we felt like we're on top of the world and going into make VOA. Uh, and we got Ted Templeman and that was one thing that we always felt we lacked in the studio was that we thought we were a better live band than we were able to capture in the studio. 
And so we thought, oh, well, now we got it. Ted Templeman's going to be the producer. Uh, you know, he knows how to get a great rock sound. And so we were very thrilled uh, having him there. And again, I, uh, again, every year kept getting better. And I thought that was like the best iteration of the band right there, too. So when Sammy got the call to join Van Halen, he said, oh, man, you guys are like the best band I've ever worked with. You should just find some other singer and plug him in and keep going, you know. And that's when uh, Geffen Records, our label, told us about Robert Berry, because he had worked with uh, Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer on Geffen Records. And uh, we had called him up, but then I got the call from Tom Scholes to come back to Boston to work on the third stage album. And so, uh, I, you know, again, I jumped at that uh, after, again, being the opening act for Tom. So I'd gotten to know him all those years and uh, thought he was a great guy. And so I, I kind of jumped ship on the guys. But after the third stage album and tour, uh, Tom came to us and said, now, it's going to be a while bet between now and the next Boston album. So if anybody has any other projects you want to do, go ahead. Now's the time to do it. So I called up Alan Fitzgerald and David Lauser. And I said, hey, let's get together and do something. And Lauser remembered Robert Barry. So he said, let's call that guy. So we actually all met in Sammy's uh, recording studio and showing each other our ideas. And Robert just fit in like he was our long-lost brother. You know, we, we were all on the same page musically, the same influences and sounds and bands we liked. And here we are still together. Yeah, all these years later. So then, you know, if the the relationship goes back so far, why not more Alliance? Why not more tours? Well, what has sort of kept the band from being more active? Uh, that's exactly it, because <laughs> we're all in other bands. Uh, with Boston, usually we had only toured when we had a new record. So back in the, you know, obviously 76, that record, then 78, but then the next record, the third stage, didn't come out till 86. You know, that was eight years later. And the next one was another six years after that. Uh, so back in those times, yeah, I had time on my hands, but I was working actually at uh, Scholl's Research, the Rockman company with Tom. So I was busy doing that. And then in the 90s, once we finally got uh, Alliance together, then we started working. I started working more with Boston. In fact, uh, we just did four years in a row, uh, 2014, 15, 16, 17, and the band hadn't worked that much since the 70s. So that really kept me, you know, uh, out of the way and, and doing that. So I, I just didn't have the time to, to, again, work on any alliance stuff. Okay, so so, so let me ask you about working. Uh, in that period when you were working, uh, you bring in Michael Sweet of... Um, I'm blanking on Michael. Striper. Striper, yeah. And, and the worst yeah. part is that Michael and I are friends. We actually text each other. <laughs> I forgot the oh. name of Oh, he's yeah. going to hate me when he hears this. But yes, uh, talk to me about bringing in Michael from Striper, because he's got a very, very pure voice. Uh, what was? How did that go? Was there a an, an audition uh, period, or did you just say, hey, I know this guy who lives you know down on Cape Cod here who sings really great. How, how did that sort of come about? Well, as you know, our original singer, Brad Delp, took his own life in 2007. And at that point, Tom, you know, was saying, gosh, I don't know if we'll ever perform again. I mean, he was such a terrific singer and, you know, part of the Boston sound. Uh, I don't know if we could go on without him or not. Uh, but some folks wanted to put together a tribute concert for Brad. And so, of course, 
you know, Tom says, yeah, sure, we'll be glad to play. And and we gathered up all the previous band members that had been in Boston and some other local bands to, to play on the show. And uh, once the word got out that we were doing this, we got calls from people to say, hey, I'd like to help out. Uh, actually, Sammy Hagar uh, was going to come out, but then he got busy doing something else. And anyway, some other uh, friends of ours that had known Brad along the way wanted to come help. And one of those was Michael Sweet. So he, he called and said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll just play guitar, sing backup, you know, whatever you want me to do. I, I, but I want to be there you know, as a tribute to Brad. And so we said, okay, great. And somebody found uh, Tommy DiCarlo because of his MySpace page. Tommy had been a fan of the band and uh, did some like karaoke singing, you know, along with Boston tracks and put it on MySpace. And somebody saw it and said, wow, this guy's a great singer. Check him out. So, you know, we did. We, we saw him and said, uh, wow, yeah, he sounds really good. Let's ask him if he wants to do the, uh, the tribute show as well. So as we found out, Tommy had never been in a band in his life. And so I'm sure when, the, you know, whoever it was that called him up said, okay, this is Boston. We want you to come out and uh, play with us. He probably thought, Bobby, is this you? Who is this really calling me? You know, but no, no, it's really Boston. We want you to come out and sing with us here at this show. And he came up, and of course he was fantastic. And our management saw the show, and they said, you know, you guys should just continue on with Michael Sweet and Tommy DiCarlo, the two of them. And that's what we did. 2008, we went out with both those guys, and they kind of traded uh, vocal duties. And you're right, uh, Michael doesn't sound like Brad, but Tommy does. So between the two of them, they got a, a great blend together, and uh, it turned out to be a great tour for us. Out of respect, I didn't want to, to, to broach the whole uh, Brad subject, but what an incredible singer, and um, just want to pay respect to him, because he, he just really was uh, an incredible talent, just an incredible talent. And, and you can imagine how devastated we were, and my theory is that uh, we were rehearsing for a tribute show in 2000, at the end of 2006, uh, for Doug Flutie, the, the football player. I don't know if you know much about him. Yes, of course he, I do. He, he, he played in the Canadian Football League after, after he did his Patriots little stint. Exactly. Anyway, but he's a Boston guy, right? So uh, anyway, there was going to be a, a, a Doug Flutie Day celebration, whatever, the, you know, and uh, at Symphony Hall, and they were going to you know, give him an award and tribute. And he's also made a lot of contributions to autism because uh, one of his sons has autism. So he's you know, community leader and uh, philanthropist and the whole thing. And uh, they had asked him, you know, what sort of band do you want to play? And he said, well, Boston, of course. You know? And as it turns out, Doug even plays drums, and he sat in on a song with us <laughs> at his own show. Uh, but uh, oh, where was I going with this? Um, no, well, just that we love football. No, we were talking about Brad and... and oh, Brad. Yeah. Okay, so that's... I'm sorry. I, I get, <laughs> get carried away here. So we were rehearsing for that show, and one day Brad comes into rehearsal, and his little finger is, like, bandaged up. He's got, you know, bandage around it. And I said, oh, Brad, what happened? And he said, oh, man, I, I got in a motorcycle accident, and, you know, I, I knew he had a bike. And he said, I wasn't even going fast. It was like 20 miles an hour. I was coming up to a stop sign, slowing down. There were some wet leaves on the ground. I hit him. The bike went out from underneath me. Next thing I know, I wake up in the hospital. 
So he had obviously had a concussion. He said it cracked his helmet. So, man, I mean, thank goodness he had a helmet, but, I mean, how hard was that, that he cracked his helmet? So back then, we just figured, oh, well, you know, that happens. You got your bell rung and, you know, whatever, and now you're fine. Just like we thought about NFL football players. But now they're finding out, if for all the, uh, unfortunately, all these football players that have had concussions, you're ten times more likely to commit suicide if you've had a concussion. And it, for whatever reason, you know, they still don't really understand, but it definitely changes your brain. And so that's why they're so careful about that these days. But, again, at that time, nobody really knew about it. And, again, he had his little finger bandaged up. He figured, oh, no problem, you know, keep going. But, yeah, three months later, he took his own life, which was exactly the same thing that happened with the singer from In Excess. He had, you know, somehow tripped and fell or something and hit his head on the, on the concrete. Three months later, took his own life. And, again, football players have done the same sort of thing. You know, that, So we know better now, but at the time we had no idea. Yeah, and, and, and it was just a, both uh, Michael Hutchins and, and Brad were just devastating news, especially as, as rock fans, you know, you, you, you hear anyway. Um, let, let, let me just quickly, uh, and, and, I, and I'm going to move away, but I mean respectfully, not to, not to, to brush it aside, but uh, third stage, the album. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had for me, I had just finished high school. It comes out the year after. And at that time, you know, on MTV and Much Music in Canada, I was like, wow, this band that had done more than a feeling that had disappeared are back. And then the yeah. single Amanda is everywhere. Incredible song, by the way. Um, yeah. Talk to me about going into the studio for that one, because you were gone forever you you are joining the band now uh there there are expectations that we're going to get more more than a feeling part two and part three and part four uh you know mtv now exists and you're going to be all over there hopefully what was it like going into that knowing that you had to live up to one of the greatest singles that was ever made you hadn't been around there there was new guys in the band just talk to me a little bit about that whole and, and how it sort of came together. Yeah. Well, again, because I had kept in touch with Tom, as I say, over the years that I uh, got involved with his electronic stuff, uh, and when he'd heard, again, that Sammy was leaving the band to join Van Halen, he called me and asked me to play on the last song to be recorded for the third stage album. It was, I think I like it. Everything else had been recorded up to then, and so he said, yeah, I got one more song. Would you come back here and help me finish it up? And of course, I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I left from our last gig with Sammy, which was Farm Aid One out in Champaign, Illinois, and flew directly from there to Boston to start working with Tom and Brad on this last song. And after I'd been there for you know a couple of weeks, Tom said, gee, uh, I think we work well together. Why don't you move back here? We'll finish this record. We'll go on tour if people want us to, because again, you're right. It'd been eight years. And like Andy Warhol said, uh, sometimes you're only entitled to 15 minutes of fame. So Tom had no idea if we would still have fans. I mean, think about yourself. You're talking about high school and all that. And if you were in junior high, when more than a feeling came out, now you're like out of college, you got a job or something, you know, this complete different uh, stage of life you know for you for the, during those eight years so he had no idea if anybody would still care about boston but 
you're right. Amanda was such a terrific song. It went to number one. The album went to number one. Uh, the the tour was fantastic. We set records, you know, like nine shows in Boston and four at, at the Meadowlands in New York. You know, it was terrific. So, but we had no idea. Okay, so let me ask you this then: with the single and all that, and 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 the heat, for the lack of a better word, that you got, why did the band disappear again? for another eight years. Why was there not an album in 1987 and in 1989 and in 1991? Why did we sort of become sort of like, you know, the gopher or, or the, uh, you know, Punxsutawney Phil who pops up his head and, you know, why not say, okay, well, we did the impossible. We, we climbed the mountain again. Now let's stay on top of this darn mountain. Yeah. Uh, Tom is not a fast songwriter. (laughs) And that's the reason. Uh, he is very thorough in the studio. And it's not that he's slow, but he wants to hear, you know, like all the options and, and the permutations of song ideas. And so as, as he's told me, uh, again, I've been in the studio working with him, and he's fast. I mean, like we're, when we lay that stuff down, it's like quick. You know, he knows his way around the studio, of course. And uh, we get stuff done quickly. But it's... Uh, a long germination process of him coming up with the ideas. And sometimes he has said that he'll work on a song for six months and then throw it away. It's like, no, it just doesn't sound right. Well, again, the last album I did with Sammy Hagar, we recorded that in 12 days. (laughs) So, you know, it was just not the norm to think, okay, you're going to take years to make a record. But that was Tom's mindset. He, you know, he said, I'm going to take my time and do this right. He had always said that the first album took six years to write and record and that he felt rushed to come up with the second album. Of course, they had been on the road for so much of that time and didn't have a lot of time in the studio to actually record that second album. So when he did that, he said, you know, that's it. I, I'm going to take my time and make records at my own pace until I'm happy with them. And, you know, maybe they're, you know... <laughs> Maybe they're, they they would have been perfect two years ago. I don't know, but whatever. I, I'm going to take my time and do it right. Well, hey, hey listen, it's been working. And um, the last album, Live, Life, Love, and Hope, uh, yeah. 2013, which means that somewhere around 2021, we should have a new Boston album every eight years, give or take. <laughs> yeah. um, so, well... It's been six years. Is there more in in the pipeline? And also, you know, since I'm in Canada and I'm in Montreal, the LP bonus track was O Canada. Talk to me about just quickly. Oh. Why did we choose O Canada as a bonus track? And thank you for that because it's a great anthem. But um, but but where where are we going with Boston in terms of new new music? Yeah, uh, Tom always has you know, great, cool riffs and ideas. And so I, I'm sure there'll be another Boston album at some point, but, you know, <laughs> no official word as to when that may be. Uh, but yeah, he's always thinking of stuff. And uh, we really enjoy playing in Canada. We've got lots of friends up there. And uh, we had done, you know, Tom had come up with an arrangement to do the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, one year for 4th of July, he had this idea to do this. And you know, went in the studio and recorded that uh, uh, very just instrumentally, no vocals, right? And so uh, when, you know, we were doing Canada, uh, you know, some Canadian shows, 
somebody mentioned along the way, gee, do you guys ever think about doing O Canada? And Tom said, you know, that would be great. Let's do that. So again, he came up with the arrangement to do it. And boy, I tell you, when, when we play that in Canada, people uh, stand up and uh, I get choked up just thinking about it. It was, it's just a, a such a great thing. You know, it's, it's, wonderful to do it is and and hey if you if folks haven't heard it go go get the uh, the lp you get that you get that as a bonus track of course alliance fire and grace is out now um gary just an absolute absolute pleasure to talk to you and i'm, and I'm gonna finish with this uh, one last question and and i'm gonna go sammy hager on you but just looking back at, at at the albums and the catalog that you made with sammy you know, just just how good of a band were you and and sort of what sort of your fondest memory of that time because you you can't deny that you have made or contributed to some of the greatest rock or at this point I guess classic rock right I mean right but yeah. just talk to me about that band because yes you you said before it said Sammy Hagar on the marquee we know that but we also know that we actually had a band yeah and of course uh Sammy brought along his uh, bassist from Montrose, Bill Church, and uh, actually, I'll, I'll go back a little history there. Uh, I was in a club band in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we had heard that Sammy had left Montrose, and our band was looking for a singer, and we called him up, and uh, he said, well, I, I've got some guys I'm, I'm working up as a band. I don't really, you know, I don't want to join anybody else. Uh, but can I do some gigs with you? And so we actually had him open a couple of shows for us as he was putting his band together. And uh, again, we had never found a singer. So our manager said, gee, why don't you, you know, join Sammy's band? And I said, well, you know, he's been through about a half a dozen guitar players in six months. I mean, if I join him, he'd just kick me out in a couple of weeks too. What's the point? You know, they said, well, why don't you give him a call? And so I was talking to him and and he said, and I particularly tell this story to young musicians and say, how'd you get that first break in Sammy Hager's band? And I said, well, uh, so I called him up and he said, Peel, hey, are you into drugs? I said, well, no, why? And he said, well, the last guitar player I had OD'd in the bathroom of a gas station. Go, oh, man, sorry to hear that. He said, so why don't you come down to jam with us? And so I go down to jam slash audition and playing the stuff and Sammy's manager called and said, hey, there was a gig with Queen in Thin Lizzy. Queen had to cancel. Thin Lizzy's going to headline. You guys could be the opening act if you have a guitar player. So, of course, Sammy turns around to me and says, hey, can you be ready in two days? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. So, of course, I went home and practiced as hard as I could and did the show. And we actually got some nice reviews for that show. But uh, I just felt you know, so good about being in that band. But I thought... Well, that's it. I mean, they just, you know, hired me to fill in. So I was saying goodbye at the end of the show. And, uh, you know, thanks a lot. And Bill said, no, 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 you're in the band. That's it. <laughs> so that was a dream come true for me. And, yeah, I'll never forget that show and that moment. And the other guys were so, again, helpful uh, about how to interpret the songs, you know, to get me up to speed. And uh, we just all became great friends. And so you're right. I think that was a fantastic band in it. It evolved a bit. You know, we lost uh, Fitz along the way. He joined Night Ranger. Uh, we had Chuck Ruff, who was in the uh, Edgar Winter Band, and Danny Carmasi, as you said, and then Dave Lauser. So we went through a few guys, but uh, they were always terrific guys and, and musicians. And uh, again, I 
we were all sorry to see it end there in 85. Yeah, that must – okay, well, I lied. Let, let me ask you just quickly about that. When when Sammy goes and joins Van Halen, and we sort of touched upon it before, but were you expecting him to come back? Were you expecting Van Halen to take off? Or, because fans, you know, when you lose a guy like David Lee Roth, you can't just replace him. You you have to get something – and man, did they ever luck out with Sammy. It it, it worked, oh, yeah. and and – you know, that was a million and one shot that it would work because you can't just replace some guy. But when you got the call and said, hey, it's, it's was it devastating? Was it like, well, OK, we sort of expected it or was it joy? Like, hey, Sammy deserves it, man. He how do you sort of take that news? <laughs> well, you're right. It was all of those, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> so, yeah, um, as I say, uh, Sammy was our cheerleader right he said yeah next year's going to be even better and and it was every year was better for us and uh, and right up to 85 he said oh you know 86 is going to be fantastic and again we had platinum records and songs on mtv and we were you know thought we were going to be on top of the world you know so when he said i you know i got i got this offer i can't refuse yes you're right on one hand it's like oh man we were <laughs> pretty close to being, you know, uh, you know, a top band. And, uh, but on the other hand, you're so glad for your friend, Sammy, that he's got this great opportunity. So, you you know, you got to be happy for him. And again, he's such, uh, he was such a friend of ours that that's the way we took it. It's not like a boss where he, okay, you guys are fired and I'm getting somebody else or whatever, you know, that that's just not the way he was. So yeah, we were happy for him a little concerned about our own future, but the fact that he, you know, tried to uh, hook us up with other singers like Robert Berry through Geffen Records, uh, you know, showed that he wanted to take care of us, wanted to make sure that we were okay in, in, in other groups. And actually our keyboard player at the time, Jesse Harms, went on to play with David Lee Roth, of all things. Uh, and then he also did a gig with um, REO Speedwagon for a while, too. Uh, and Dave Lauser, our drummer, uh, had some other uh, studio session stuff, and Sammy used them on other sessions. And then, of course, once Sammy left Van Halen, he got Dave Lauser back on drums, uh, and, and that part's history, too. And, and uh, how close were you ever close, by the way, to joining Night Ranger? Because you did those demos for Dawn Patrol and, and Midnight Madness at, at, at your home studio, if I'm not mistaken. Was there any point where you were going to be a Night Ranger? No. Uh, okay. Again, I met the Night Ranger guys through Fitz, and actually Ronnie Montrose, he had known some of the guys, and uh, some of them were in a band called Stereo, and Ronnie said, uh, gee, these guys you know, need to do some uh, demos, and Ronnie had been at my house in my home recording studio with Mitchell Froome, who I had played with in Crossfire, who Mitchell, of course, went on to be a terrific producer, you know, Paul McCartney and Los Lobos and Cheryl Crow and on and on and on. Uh, anyway, we were in that band together. And so Ronnie said, yeah, I know you got some, some you know, recording stuff at, at your place. Uh, check these guys out. I think they're really good. And Fitz wasn't even in the band at the time. But then, you know, it's a small world. Again, we're in the San Francisco Bay Area. Fitz joins. And so... Again, they asked, well, gee, can we do some demos at your place? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I helped them record a bunch of songs, one of which was Sister Christian. And uh, they got the record deal, and, of course, I was thrilled for them. 
but yeah, I was still playing in Sammy's band, so I was busy. I <laughs> you had a gig. So I, and, wow. Yeah, I had a gig, and of course Jeff Watson and Brad Gillis were terrific guitar players, uh, so they deserved uh, their shot at fame too. But you didn't you didn't actually play on any of the the music that came out. You 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 helped with the demos. You didn't did you play on those demos or or help write any of them? I mean, other than Sister Christian, did did, did you? How much? How involved were you in those early Ranger um, demos? Yeah, I'm surprised you knew that. Yeah, they their original name was Ranger. Yep. Uh, but yeah, no, I was just the engineer. That's all. And again, they were recorded those in, in my living room in my house. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and, yeah. And, and anyway, uh, well, thank you for your time. And and it's, it's just amazing to look at at how you went on to be in Boston, and and Sammy got to be Sammy, and 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 Van Halen, and the you know Night Ranger with Alan. It's just it's boy, you you. You were in a in a great musical space growing up, or or living in whenever that was. But uh... yeah, well, again, I've been very lucky to be at the right place on the right time. And yeah, if you would have told me and Sammy in '83, said, "Okay, next year you're going to join Van Halen and you're going to join Boston," we would have said, "Yeah, right. What are the odds of that happening?" But there you go. Life is strange sometimes. It is. And uh, folks, again, uh, Alliance Fire and Grace is uh, out now, came out in May. And uh, do go check it out. And uh, as we say in Montreal, Gary, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. Cheers. See you, Mitch. Bye-bye now. Bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. 